good. Thank you guys for leading us in worship. If you don't feel like you've gotten to sing enough today, don't worry. We're going to come back and we're going to sing some more uh, when we're done with the message today. So before I jump into scripture, I have a couple of things that I just want to run by you. We celebrated baptism last week at Worship in the Park. Wasn't that a fun day? Yeah, such a fun day, such a fun day. And uh, we had six people baptized, if you haven't heard, and it was just a super exciting day. And so if you were baptized, we're working on baptism certificates, pictures, things of that nature that we will uh, have for you. And uh, probably starting next Sunday, they'll be available out on the welcome table or they'll be available for pickup. If you need yours mailed to you or something of that nature, just let us know. I, I want to mention just a couple of other things um, just while we're at it. I apologize for the for what that's going to do to the sound. Almost there. Come on. Well, here. Let me take care of that. I got more of those, right? Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't we all be happy? For sure. While we're on that, I certainly got to say how proud I am of you guys for just rolling with the flow. We have always taken the approach that says that uh, we're going to observe guidelines of the Oregon Health Authority and the CDC. We want to keep you safe. You know what we're doing these days. We've not made a big deal out of masks, but we want you to uh, uh, be safe this morning. And so thank you for uh, wearing your masks and even more importantly, for having great attitudes about all of that. I do want to mention two other things, and then we'll jump into our scripture this morning. Uh, we have a couple of college students with us today. I'm not, I'm not here to embarrass them, but I do want to remind us it's the season where college starts. And so uh, I want to pray today for our college students as they go off sort of ascending, if you will. So, and then we're going to come back and we're going to pray again. So we're practicing our prayers before I preach on praying. How's that sound? Right? It's good to pray together, and it's good to pray generally. And so, um, so we're going to pray. So let me pray for our college students and their families as we send them. Jesus, we thank you uh, for our college students. We thank you for the ways they're growing and the ways they're becoming more and more of who you are. And we pray that in this coming year that you would stir in their lives in just such powerful ways and that they would be drawn closer and closer to you, Jesus, knowing what it means to become a fully devoted, fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus, we pray for their campuses, that they would be a light for you on their campuses, and that uh, wherever they are, be it uh, here in Oregon or across the United States, that you would work powerfully in them, that you would sustain them in seasons that are challenging, that you would give them perseverance for moments where they might be tempted to give up, and that more than anything, you would move them forward in their journey of becoming who you've created them to be. As we pray for them, we also pray for their families. We know that uh, sending is something families do proudly, but we also know that it isn't easy. And so we pray for strength and we pray for grace as we all walk through that. We thank you. We have the privilege of living and ministering here in a college town. We pray that we would always have a heart uh, for those students, both those that don't know you and certainly those that do. Jesus, we thank you for them. We pray your blessing on them. We send them with the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the next set of prayers we're going to pray before we jump into the message is what I want you to pray. So I'm just going to prompt you in what to pray. 
And I specifically want us to pray for the situation that has unfolded over the last week in Afghanistan. You might have heard that there have been various calls for this to be a prayer Sunday. Um, We've been talking about prayer for weeks. I'm not doing this because any given leader in the United States said churches should pray. I'm doing this because Christians should pray. Does that make sense? I just don't want this to feel political at all. I want it to feel motivated by the fact that when we see things happen around the world and our hearts are broken, that there is a natural, normal something we can do. And that natural, normal something we can do the good thing we can do is pray. And so I want to ask you this morning to pray for the Afghan people. In fact, I'm just going to give you a few seconds to bow your heads and pray for the Afghan people. Specifically, I want to prompt you to pray for women and girls in Afghanistan. I want you to pray for interpreters and others that have come alongside in the war there that are now at great risk. Pray for protection. I want you to pray for our active military personnel that are there right now. I want you to pray for our veterans, for their families, and for those who might be struggling mightily with deep sorrow. I want to encourage you to pray for Christians and for what are now underground churches throughout Afghanistan.
and what might be the hardest part. Jesus said to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Should I pray for the Taliban? For Jesus to work. Jesus, I just want to come alongside my brothers and sisters here, and we want to come alongside brothers and sisters who are, are literally around the world, the other side of the planet. We pray for your work. We pray for your protection. We pray for your grace. We pray for safety. We even pray for your peace. Jesus, I particularly want to lift to you those families, whether they're in Afghanistan right now and so fearful, or whether they're here in the States and have family that are there. I, I pray for all the many ways that people could struggle, that in the end, that we know what it means to be broken in prayer, but we would also know what it means to pray with hope. And so, Jesus, we seek your kingdom come. Not only in Afghanistan, but around the world, and just as importantly, right here in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, as you pray for Afghanistan, I, I hope that you would realize that we're not simply praying for people who need Jesus to work because they're halfway around the world. We here in America need Jesus to work just as much. We are just as much a broken people and frankly, just as much a warring sinful people if we really think about the depths of sin and how great that battle really is. That is not to say that what is happening there isn't significant. It's why we're praying for it today. But it is to say, to recognize that it's much easier to see problems in others in other places than it is to see them in ourselves. Does that make any sense? I particularly want to point that out because of the scripture I'm going to read with you today. It's in Luke chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them with me to Luke chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, we give them away for free. We have some outside, some in the back, back there. Uh, feel free to take one of our Bibles, consider it yours. Again, we give them away for free. Everybody should have a Bible. If, if you don't have yours with you today, I will have scripture on screen uh, with us and for us today. I'm going to date myself just a bit here, but 35 years ago, a movie came out about a little robot. Maybe you remember this little robot. He was, he was, he was at number five, right? 
right? Johnny Number 5, something of that nature, right? It was a great movie back back in the mid-80s called Short Circuit. It was about this little robot that was that was created by the government to serve in various applications and electricity hit said robot and he gained consciousness he became alive and it was a cute little movie i mean i remember at the time it was kind of a phenomenon culturally such a such a big deal of course there have been many movies over the years about robots and their interaction with humanity not all of them good or peaceful, but this was a fun-loving little robot, if you will, with self-conscious, very childlike, very innocent, if you will. The word short-circuit usually doesn't mean things go well, like it did in the movie. Short-circuits often refer, in fact, I I brought it up here because I don't know as much about this, and many of you would know far more than I do, but I just got a little definition for us. A short-circuit is a problem in an electrical circuit where two or more wires that are not supposed to come in contact with each other touch, and a short circuit can result in a very high current flowing through the circuit, and this high current can destroy components, melt insulation, start a fire. Our resident fireman would say he's seen that before, I'm sure. Months ago in the offices, our offices, if you don't know, are right across the parking lot in the house next door to us, we looked down at an electrical outlet one day and discovered a whole lot of black in the little electrical outlet. We were spared the fire, thankfully, but we had to have significant work done just to make sure that uh, we didn't have that problem again. Short circuits aren't really a good thing, and today I want to talk about mistakes that short circuit our prayers, because we often think, well, as long as I'm praying, it's all good, right? And I mean, I don't mean to make you doubt yourself so much here today, because I want you to really be introspective. I want you to look inside, and I want you to think about the attitude with which you come before the throne of God. Jesus said it this way. Luke 18, verse 9, we'll get to what Jesus said, but Luke adds, to some who were confident of their own righteousness, so they were self-righteous, right? And he adds, who looked down on everyone else, because that is what self-righteousness makes you do, isn't it? Self-righteousness makes you look in the mirror and think, oh, everybody should want to be like me. Jesus told them this parable, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, that I am not like robbers or evildoers or adulterers or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. We'll dig into it, but notice that the Pharisee's prayer is largely about himself for himself. It's self-aggrandizing. It's, it's, it, he's, he's just patting himself on the back, if you will, affirming himself to his God. But the tax collector stood at a distance, and he would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast, which was a sign of repentance, and he said, God, have mercy on me. A sinner, his prayer literally says something about propitiation to have a covering over 
of his sins. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, in other words, the tax collector, not the Pharisee, Jesus says, went home justified before God, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The Pharisees were a group of people that Jesus confronted often, who often got things wrong, but were considered to be like the elite religiously of their day. They were the, <clears throat> they were the pros of religiosity, right? I mean, they were the, I don't know, it's almost football season, right? They were the Tom Brady's of their day. Everybody thought they were the, the best around, and they knew it, and everybody else knew it. Tax collectors were seen as traitors, as riffraff, as evil even. And yet Jesus affirms the tax collector and not the Pharisee. Why is that? There's one thing I want to convince you of today, but before I give those six words to you, I just want to remind you that the Pharisees prayed a lot. That they would have been professional prayer people who picked pickled peppers. <laughs> that the Pharisees prayed probably most, more than most of us do today, and yet Jesus is saying they had it all wrong, that they missed the point. I think we often think that prayers have to be long to matter to God. Jesus elsewhere tells us that's not the case. We'll see that. So I have six words for you today. It's a fairly simple one thing and a focus of this message. The one thing this message is about is this idea that prayer, among other things in our lives, must become, prayer must become an attitude changer, an attitude changer that when I pray, as I pray, that the posture in my prayer should change my heart. And that if prayer doesn't change my attitude and change my heart, then I run the risk, the great, great risk of becoming religious, but not becoming like Jesus. Prayer is needed to change the pride in our own hearts. And so, to be very specific and to apply this to our lives, I just want to run through the story again, this parable. I mean, parables are made to be stories in which we can picture ourselves, right? And I wonder sometimes if I am more the Pharisee or the tax collector. I'm certainly not Jesus in this story. Four mistakes that short-circuit our prayers. Mistake number one is when I pray focused only on me and I miss God. I pray focused only on me and I miss God. Am I saying that our prayers can't be about us? No, I'm not saying that. Right? We are told, commanded to pray about ourselves. But I want you to notice the way the Pharisee prays, the attitude with which he prays. We tend to think that if I'm praying, and then I'm, I'm sort of 
getting in good with God, that, that prayer sort of merits something before God, that if I'm praying, then God sort of owes me something in return. And so the parable says it this way, that there were some who were confident of their own self-righteous and they looked down on everyone else. That would be the religious elite of the day. Jesus said two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, like robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this tax collector right here. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. It's like he's sort of going over his resume. Right, sort of reminding God of what a gift he is to God. All right, God, that, you, that God should know how, how good he is. And frankly, that God already knows how, in his mind, how good he is. But then again, I would suggest to you that when he prays to God, he is not praying to the God of the Bible. He is praying to himself in many senses. That he has become his own little g-god by setting himself up in this way. And I just see how self-oriented this prayer is, not because he prayed about himself in terms of his needs. The other man prayed about his needs as well, but because he held himself up as sort of the exemplar of humanity. It's very, very easy to pray focused only on ourselves and just miss God altogether. The Pharisee certainly would have missed the God standing in front of him. Almost all of the Pharisees missed the fact that God in the flesh stood in front of them teaching them this parable. That their own prayers got in the way of understanding who God is and what God wants it's why I often talk about reading our Bibles and prayer and those things going hand in hand because, because I should learn more about Jesus as I'm praying and my prayers in the end should make me more about Jesus. And if you think about it, the person who had the most right to pray like this is the one teaching the parable. That if anybody had the right to say, I am God's gift to humanity, it would be God's gift to humanity, Jesus Christ, who doesn't ever pray with arrogance, but came with great humility. For he who humbles himself will be exalted. Certainly, the he that will be exalted is Jesus. If we think about what it says in Philippians 2, when Jesus humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every... <laughs> you know the verse, right? That every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. It's because Jesus humbled himself. Number two... It short-circuits my prayers when I focus on my outward expressions and I miss the sin in my own heart. I miss the sin in my own heart. I think it, it works like this a lot of times. 
Well, at least I prayed. I mean, I, you know, I did whatever I did out there. I think whatever I think in here. I live however I live, but at least I prayed, right? And this, again, is sort of the karma approach to prayer, that if I pray, God owes me something. That my outward expressions somehow matter more than my inward condition. We tend to get this way particularly... When we think about length of prayers, and can I ask you an honest question, an honest assessment? How many of you feel like I am not very good at praying, that, that there is like I am broken when it comes to prayer? Okay, that would be most of us, just for those of you online who are probably raising your hands at home as well. Now, that being said, how many of you have an image in your head that people who are really good at prayer pray with more words than you pray, meaning their prayers are longer, deeper, better, that, that you would feel better about yourself if your prayers were longer, deeper, better, again, right? That's our image of better praying, right? Now, let me remind you of this. That was about the outward expressions. You remember when Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. You remember that prayer, right? It's primarily found in Matthew 6, although Luke has a version of it as well. Do you know how Jesus introduced that prayer? By the way, if you've ever counted the words in that prayer, I counted them the other day. There are 52, 53, 54 words in the English translation of that prayer. And I'm going to be honest, I didn't go back and count the Greek words. I could have, but I, I didn't. But there's 50-some words in the prayer. Does that suffice? This is how Jesus taught us to pray. You know what's significant about that number is not that that number is special or your prayers have to add up to 52 or 53 words or something like that. But the intro verse for that prayer says, when you pray, this is Jesus teaching, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. And then Jesus goes on to pray what is perhaps the most significant model prayer ever given in all of history, and it's 50-some words long. Of course, its core content cuts to the heart, right? Forgive us as debts, as we also forgive our debtors, as we also have been forgiven. He talked about babbling like the pagans or going on with meaningless repetitions because the pagans in their day thought that God would respond if they just manipulated enough. And I think we fall into the same trap, thinking our prayers act like a manipulation that manipulates God to act on our behalf. And if God doesn't act on our behalf, then we didn't pray enough. But notice again how much we're focused on the outward piece and we just miss the core heart piece, the contrition peace in the heart, which leads me to the third mistake, that I short-circuit my prayers when I profess self-righteousness and I miss grace. I profess self-righteousness and I miss grace. And think about all that the Pharisee was saying, how great he was. He gives a tenth of all he gets, right? That he prays more than anyone else, right? That he is the coolest like, he is the goat of prayer. Right? That if you were to look at his jersey, that God would be applauding. 
so he thinks. Now, we've talked about often over the years that Jesus didn't come to start a religion. In a lot of senses, he came to correct a religion. He came to start a relationship. And in fact, we've said this before, that Jesus came to start a relationship that changes all of my other relationships. I think this is great. Jesus tells the story of a a Pharisee and a tax collector praying, and one of the 12 followers of Jesus was a tax collector. I mean, think about how this man feels in this moment, who's been ostracized by society. In fact, it's the guy who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, right? We call him Levi sometimes, we call him Matthew sometimes, but he was a tax collector. He was, he was, he was considered riffraff. He was excluded by society. He was looked at as, as evil in so many ways. And, and this tax collector hears Jesus tell this story, and there was a Pharisee and a tax collector. Think about where he thinks this is going. Like there had to be a moment in there where he goes, yes. For once, the little guy, you know? Somebody stands up for me. Somebody cares about me. Of course, the content of the prayer of the tax collector was significant. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He would not even look up to heaven, he knew he was not qualified. He knew he was not good enough. But you know what he found that the Pharisee did not? He found Jesus. Right? He found grace. Notice the nature of the Pharisee's comparison with the tax collector set himself up as the standard, that he was the gold standard, not like the riffraff. This was sad to me because because at the end of the day, I'm pretty sure that God is the standard and I am not. And what I can say exclusively, clearly, is that if God is the standard, I don't measure up. That rather, I bring a whole lot of pride to the table. And you know what pride does, right? Pride obsesses with me. Pride causes me to be a fool. Pride believes I am always right. Pride will lead me to reject God, to harden my heart, to to refuse to ever be wrong. Do you know how much pride? Read your social media sometime, not just yours, but everyone's, with sort of the lens of pride in mind. I mean, social media is sort of a prayer engine of sorts. And in that feed, I wonder if, if in my feed, I see a whole lot of pride, don't you? I'm talking about my feed, not just, just even what I post in myself. There's a lot of insecurity, which we've talked about before. Insecurity and pride, two sides of the same coin. They're both focused on me. One overthinks about myself, the other tends to under-worry about myself or over-worry about myself, but in the end, I'm obsessed with me either way. And I just do this, and 
if God heard our prayers as a feed coming into heaven, I wonder as he scrolled if it wouldn't just be the same pride fest. Grace is so much better than pride. Grace moves my heart and changes my life. If you've ever wondered why man-made religion seems so empty and Jesus so appealing, it's because Jesus is grace. It's very easy. It's grace. We use the word grace to talk about elegance and beauty. We use the word grace to talk about favor and blessing, attractiveness, if you will. We talk about favor and grace to represent a sense of mercy, certainly. But I always like to distinguish for us sort of the difference, right? That mercy is not getting what I deserve. What I, what I deserve is punishment, and mercy is when I'm not given that punishment. Grace goes beyond that, includes mercy, but goes beyond that to give me blessing I absolutely do not deserve. It's when God offers me his mercy, but comes alongside and actually offers me himself, not just his mercy, that I get his peace, that I get his kindness, that I get his blessing. Our world, we think, runs on a sense of, uh, I used the word a while ago, karma, that you get what you deserve in the end. And yet, if I read the headlines, I find that we often don't get what we deserve. And I got to say, when it comes to God, I get far better than I deserve. That's grace. Yes. Bless you. Our world would run on what, at the end of the day, you and I might call ungrace. Certainly, the opposite of grace is what our world runs on. Because we want to give away what people deserve. It's so easy to focus on ourselves and miss grace. Number four, I short-circuit my prayers when I exalt myself and I miss both humility and honor. Humility and honor. When I exalt myself along the way. The Tax collector prayed, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled. And Jesus told a bunch of parables about people who kind of took the seat of honor at the table, people who wanted to push themselves to the front wanted to say that they were, you know, so much better than everybody else. And Jesus, who really is better than everybody else, says, don't live that way, don't act that way, don't do that. He goes on to say, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, those who humble themselves will be exalted. I, I realize one of the things going on here is I think the Pharisee was praying so that the tax collector would hear it. And the tax collector would be convinced of how messed up he was. But the tax collector didn't need the Pharisee to tell him that. Because he had a God. He stood before. He already knew he didn't measure up. The reality is the Pharisee needed to be humbled just as much. And if we read Scripture with the entire perspective in view, those who exalt themselves will 
be humbled. It's just a matter of timing. It's super easy to exalt myself, but when I do, I miss humility, certainly. But I also miss honor. Because Jesus said those who humble themselves will be exalted. There's great honor in having God say to you, come to my table. See, prayer must become an attitude changer. Does this make sense? Simple. And yet, so often, I don't do it. So to make this really practical for you today, I just want to give you a couple of last things. How do I avoid self-righteous prayers? I wrote these in my notes. I wrote, be purposefully humble. Be purposefully humble. That I need to remember who I'm talking to when I pray. I would use this analogy no matter who sits in the office I'm about to refer to. The Oval Office. I would never walk into the Oval Office, throw my feet up on the desk and say, Yo, Prez, what's up, dude? You know, me and my everyday polo shirt and my shorts and my sandals. Yo, what's up, Prez? It doesn't matter who sits in the office. I have respect for the one who holds it. Does that make sense? If I'm going to do that with a human leader, why in the world would I not do that with the king of kings? Not meaning that I have to come to him with fancy clothes, that that's the trapping he cares about. He's very specific about that. He cares about the heart, and that's what this is about. And again, I would just remind us, the one in the end who really humbled himself is the one telling the story. It is Jesus himself. I need to be purposely humble, just as Jesus was humble. And number two, I need to be painfully honest. If I want to avoid self-righteous prayers and make sure I don't miss humility and make sure I don't miss grace, make sure I don't miss God and miss Jesus, then I need to be purposefully humble, but also painfully honest, particularly about my own sin. I like painfully honest prayers. A lot of times people will say to me, but I just don't know what to pray. And I love the verse that reminds us in Romans that the Spirit prays words on our behalf that we can't utter because we don't know words to utter. When, when all we can do is moan, the Spirit is interceding on our behalf. But I also know when I read the prayer book of Scripture, the Psalms, I read a whole lot of painfully honest prayers, prayers that are like, God, these people, like, I can't stand them. Prayers that are like, God, I can't stand myself. The scripture has no problem with painfully honest prayers. I can't tell you how many times after service someone has, has talked to me for a bit and, and they've, I'm just going to be straight, they've cursed, they've said things that we would never say in church and they go, I, I just can't anymore, as though they've offended me in some way. And, and I would just say, God understands when we are painfully 
honest and we're purposefully humble when we're broken. Don't misunderstand it. My pastor just told me to curse before God when I pray. <laughs> Was not the point. And the point is God can handle our prayers. I dated myself earlier. I'm going to do it again. I, I watch a show that was on TV decades and decades ago. It's, it's, it's a, you remember Mobile Armor, Army Surgical Hospital, right, MASH? You, you remember the show? Right? The show ended in, you know, what is the most watched episode of television like ever. I don't know that these days with the world of Netflix and those kinds of things, I don't think that'll ever be broken. But it ends among other things, with Father Mulcahy, who is a priest, right? A praying man. He is the praying man of the show who has lost his hearing, and he's praying to God, and he's mad at God, and he's, he's, he's not necessarily cursing at God. It was TV back in the day, but, but he, he, he asked God, what good is a deaf priest? Every day I pray, and I just keep getting worse. And he asked God, are you deaf too? He was honest. He was working through his pain. He was working it through with God. He was not keeping God out of the process, but he was including God in the process. And he was frustrated, and he was angry, and he was disappointed. All those things targeted at God, but he was talking to God about it. I do think it's important that we talk to God in that way about reality. But I would remind us, Purposefully humble, painfully honest. Does that make sense? That's how we avoid the self-righteous prayers. So I always end our service with two prayers. The first is a prayer of salvation. The second, a prayer of application, a prayer of discipleship. And I want to pray them both today, but I'm inviting you to pray them. I'm inviting you online to pray them. If you need salvation today, the one telling the story hung on a cross in humiliation to offer grace to pay the price for our sins and he wants to have a relationship with you with all of you and all you have to do is receive it repent which seems like the painfully honest thing to do and turn to him and say yeah have mercy on me a sinner so maybe for salvation's sake, you would pray this prayer with me today. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus, be my God. Thank you for your mercy on the cross. I confess that I am a sinner. And I ask that you apply the cross to me. Your mercy to me. That I might have your grace. I turn to you, Jesus, and ask you to be in charge of all of my life. In Jesus' name.
Amen. That we often refer to as a prayer of salvation. We use different words and different times to say it, but a prayer of salvation is simple. We celebrate every time that happens. It touches the heart of God. We celebrate greatly. It's, it's what baptism was all about. And I want to end with a second prayer as well. A prayer that if you've already prayed a prayer of salvation sometime over the years, a prayer that might reset your heart. Would you pray with me? A prayer of discipleship, a prayer of application. Dear Jesus, I want to be purposefully humble and painfully honest. And I confess that I am also a sinner. And that I often miss the point in prayer. That I focus on me and miss you. That I focus on outward expressions and I miss the sin in my own heart. That I act at times religious and misgrace. That I confess not my sins but my prides. That I miss humility and honor. And so Jesus, I want you to change my heart. And make prayer an attitude of humility for me. That I might talk with you day by day about what we're doing, but do it with humility. Work that in me, Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen. Amen. I pray that for all of you, friends. I'm so glad you're here worshiping Jesus with us today. If you're online, I'm glad you're worshiping with us as well. God's grace is so good. So good. You continue to sing with us as we sing a couple more songs to finish our service.